you. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Good to be with you. Um, so yeah, um, as Scott said, I am a pastor at a church called Southlands. We're actually in Brea. Um, we have multiple congregations, one in Fullerton, one in Chino, and then just recently, mid-COVID, we planted a, a Southland Santa Ana um, by God's grace is flourishing and doing great. Um, so he's been really kind to us in the last year and a half. Um, well, my mic has fallen. All right, how's that? A little bit better? All right. Um, yeah, um, as Scott said, it's, it's been a blessing to be part of a global network um, and being part of uh, extended families that um, even knowing we're in Brea and you guys are here in Escondido, that we get to have connections and friendships and relationships and we get to mutually strengthen one another. Um, and I always look forward to coming down here and um, and so appreciated of your elder team and the way that they've served me over the last probably eight years, the relationships that have been formed, and um, it has been a great, great joy. Um, so just thank you guys. It's a, it's a blessing to see familiar faces and to be encouraged and ask how my wife and kids are doing. Um, I've been married for 12 years, have four beautiful uh, children, three girls and one boy, and um, they are a blast. So, man. Uh, what's interesting is about a year and a half ago, roughly, March 1st, um, I was here, and um, it was, uh, it's interesting as I look back in preparation of today just to see what my title of my sermon was, and it was Living with Steadfast Purpose. And if you guys remember, which I know most of you have, uh, have not, is about a month later, COVID hit. Um, and I just, man, I was just thanking God for his kindness um, and grace and allowing uh, him to lead me to that passage to just strengthen and encourage you guys. And I, I just wanted to take a minute and just even pray up front and just recognize God's kindness and grace upon this church and pray that that would be part of who you are, um, that that would be your identity. In Christ, a church that's flourishing in the city, a light and a blessing to those around, around you. So let me do that now. Father God, thank you so much for Reservoir Church. God, thank you that your kindness and your grace is upon this church. And um, Lord, you want to see uh, this church continue to flourish and be points of light here in Escondido, God. So I do. I just pray that, um, God, people would begin to just be freshly awakened to your grace and your kindness, that the mission would be on the forefront of their minds to see more people come to the understanding and knowledge of following Christ Jesus. And God, that you'd grow this church in depth and width and um, God, we just thank you for the steadfast faithfulness of this church. God, that these people love your word, that these people are willing to walk in the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So I do, I just pray now that you would bless their efforts, that you'd multiply them. And God, that you would continue to do a great work through this church. And God, we lift up Jonathan. Um, Lord, even now, he's probably wrapping up his sermon at um, Grace Church East County in La Mesa. God, would you just bless him? Lord, would be he mutually uh, be encouraged and encourage that church, Lord? Um, would they see the preciousness and beauty of the cross um, today in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Today we'll begin, be looking at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and today's title is Incomparable Jesus. Incomparable Jesus. And before we get there, um, I want you to think back to a time um, where you were just utterly spent, where you were exhausted, um, where you were tired, you were feeling ran down. It could be physically or mentally. It could be a time when you found yourself overwhelmed or stressed out. I know this last year and a half, uh, I think all of us could find points in time that we just felt a bit 
thin. And I know as we've navigated this new season and new waters that more often than not, we've been a bit exhausted. And I know I have found myself there many times this last year and a half. I've transitioned to a new job. As I shared, I have four beautiful children. Um, I started a small company that I'm running out of my garage that is keeping me extremely busy. Um, and I feel like I've been juggling chainsaws for the last year and a half. Um, but by God's grace, um, I have been strengthened and encouraged, but I have found more often than not in the moments of me feeling weak, in the moments of me feeling exhausted, that I act out of character, that I say and do things that, man, I, I look back on them like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have responded to my kids that way. I wish I would not have been that short with my wife. And if we're honest, I think we all could say in moments of weakness, more often than not, we find ourselves doing and saying things that are out of character. We catch ourselves responding harshly or quickly. Sometimes we even catch ourselves as we're driving, just beginning to, to mumble or complain. It could be in the workplace as things don't go your way. You begin to, to just act out or act out of character. And today we're going to be looking at how Jesus' words and ways never wavered. Jesus' words and ways never wavered. They were consistent no matter how difficult things got or how tired he was. Leading up to this point in Luke chapter 23, Jesus has been beaten. He's been mocked and taken in for questioning. False accusations were brought to the local government, and they decided that Jesus was innocent. The mob seemingly ruled as they shouted, release Barabbas, a known criminal, and chanted, crucify Jesus. Pilate relented and let a murderer go in the place of one that was found not guilty. Jesus is now sentenced to death by crucifixion and begins his agonizing walk. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we will be looking at verses 26 through 49. Luke 23, starting at verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there following him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they would begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. They crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. 
One of the criminals who hung railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was not about the sixth, it was, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is God's word. The first thing we see is the incomparable love of Jesus. And we see that in verses 26 through 31. We know that at this point, Jesus is physically exhausted. He's in agonizing pain and could hardly walk yet alone carry his own cross. Simon is grabbed and pulled in by the soldiers to carry it behind Jesus. And at this very moment of utter weakness, he's bloodied, he's bruised, unrecognizable, exhausted to the point where he can't even carry his own cross. He turns to these women in the crowd, weeping, and makes a statement that at first seems insensitive and or out of place. He says, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What is Jesus thinking? They are weeping for you. Couldn't you show a little appreciation? For the compassion and lament of these women, it seems out of place. At least these these women are feeling sorry for him. At least these women aren't mocking him, like the crowd and the soldiers and the centurions. You'd think he'd be grateful for a little moral support at this point. But instead, he stops them short. And he responds to their cries, don't cry for me, daughters of Jerusalem. What he's saying is that there is nothing wrong with their tears. No, there's nothing wrong with their tears, yet that they are in the wrong place. Jesus doesn't stop them from weeping. He calls them to lament. He calls them to weep for themselves and for their children. Jesus is saying things are going to get so bad. Things are going to get so bad that it would be better if the mountains fell on you. It would be better if the hills smashed you. You'll beg the mountains to crush you, and at that point, you will be glad that you have no children and are barren. Pause and remember for a sec just where Jesus is at. I picture him on this dusty road, bloody and bruised, unrecognizable, dust sticking to his skin. I I picture him on the floor at this point, on this journey to Golgotha, and crowds are surrounding him. And Jesus takes a moment to look these women straight in the eye as they begin to weep for him. And this is not the first time 
that Jesus points to the destruction of Jerusalem. Seven times in Luke's gospel, Jesus speaks of the destruction heading for Jerusalem if they do not turn and relent from their ways. In chapter 19, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. This is the famous triumphal entry. And as he rides on the donkey and they begin to praise him, he begins to weep. He foresees what is going to happen to Jerusalem because of their wicked ways. And he weeps. He's compassionate. He's weeping because he doesn't want them to miss him. His first reaction, his first response is to weep over those that do not believe. And in a moment of pain and suffering, he turns to these women. And out of the depth of his love, he wants to see Jerusalem turn and repent. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, he's saying, do not weep over me. Weep over what brought me here. Weep over what will bring people pain and suffering. Weep over those that will experience God's wrath because they have chosen this world and not me. He finishes his warning by saying, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? What do you do with dry wood? What do you do with dry wood? You burn it. You throw it in the fire and you burn it. If Jesus is not spared the cruelty of the cross, how will the nation of Israel escape divine judgment? His seemingly insensitivity is not the absence of love, but it's the deepest expression of it. Empathetic, in pain, He's calling these women to weep for Jerusalem. He calls them tenderly, daughters of Jerusalem. He doesn't want them to waste their tears on what cannot and should not be altered. When they should be lament and well over the rebellion of sin that must be surrendered at the feet of Jesus. Don't lament for the Son of Man doing His Father's will. Lament for those who do their own will. Lament for those that will not turn from their wicked ways. Who thinks like this? Right? Who, who is this loving? Who is this kind in a moment of weakness to be so focused on others? The answer is no one. No one. No one puts others' brokenness and pain before their own. No one is this empathetic. No one is this kind. Listen, when I'm sick, I get the man flu. And you men could relate out there, right? I'm on the bed, I, I'm exhausted, I can't help with the dishes or anything, and the, the reality is I probably just got a little bit of allergies going on. When I'm tired, I'm selfish. When I'm hungry, I'm hangry. And when I'm in pain, I want as much sympathy that I could get from those around me. Yet in Jesus' weakest moment, he calls these women to weep rightly. What does it mean for you to weep rightly? Take a moment. Ask yourself, when was the last time, and I'm guilty of this myself, did I just weep over my city?
What do you find yourself lamenting over? And I think if we're honest, over the last year, we wept over our political party, our football team, our job, our circumstances. And listen, God has given us emotions and desires for us to express them. But the question, are we expressing them rightly? Jesus says, don't waste those tears on things that don't truly matter. Weep over sin. Weep over the brokenness around you. Weep over those in your workplace. Weep over those in your city that don't know him and that are headed for God's wrath. For those that are dead in their trespasses and that need resurrection life, weep over them. Our sin should grieve us as a people. It separates us from God. And it leads to death. But praise God that we don't have to weep forever. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Can I get an amen? Yes. Praise the Lord. That is why Jesus' love is so incomparable. He is completely selfless, not selfish. His love doesn't waver under pain or circumstances or brokenness. His words and ways do not waver. And the second thing we see is the incomparable forgiveness of Jesus. We see in verse 32 through 38, he reaches his destination in pain and agony. Jesus takes the cross from Simon and he is nailed to it, crucified between two criminals. The just with the unjust, the guiltless with the guilty. I don't know about you, do you hate it when you see an innocent person mistreated? And I feel like if anything we've seen in the last season, we've seen a, a lot of mistreatment, a lot of unjust things happen. Maybe you were on the receiving end of an unjust circumstance. If anything is unjust, it's this. The sinless, guiltless Savior is receiving a criminal's death. All internal and external elements are attacking him at this point. With each breath, it gets harder and harder. But listen, Jesus responds in this very moment in this way. Verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The crowd chanted, crucify him not long ago. The soldiers beat him and still mock him. They were killing the very one who spent his entire life loving, serving, sacrificing, and caring for others. Even immediately after Jesus says this, they scoffed him, it says. He saved others, let him save himself. Jesus does not return evil with evil. He doesn't condemn them. He, he doesn't lash out or act out of character. He intercedes for them. He pleads to God for them. Father, forgive them. Jesus is living out perfectly what he taught in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus' Jesus's words and ways were never separated. He never acts out of character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. From the highs of preaching on mountaintops to the lows of being crucified, Jesus' words and ways never waver. Jesus is incomparable. 
at the end of 2019, a story hit the news. I was hoping that I could have the picture for it. Um, and it was of a white woman police officer that shot a young black man in his apartment. And she was uh, convicted as a murderer. The title of this article, um, and it was across all of our news stations, um, said Brant Jean's act of grace towards his brother's killer sparked a debate over forgiveness. I don't know if any of you remember this, but it was a stark picture of the two hugging one another in the middle of the courtroom. And the brother of the boy that, that, that died stood before the courtroom and said, despite what Geiger took from my family, which is the woman police officer, if she is truly sorry for what she did, I forgive her and want the best for her. He asked the judge if he could hug her, defying all odds, the article said. I don't know if you remember the story, but the world was quite moved by it. At a time of divide between race, it was moving and powerful. It hit the headlines. Many celebrated this, while others were on the opposite side. The story was moving, but the truth is the story fails in comparison to what Jesus has done. You guys with me? Yeah, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is the one that was murdered. And he is the same one forgiving those committing the murder. And it's not because they are sorry. He willingly and freely forgives those that are committing the crime. Do you see how incomparable Jesus' forgiveness is? There is none like him. Jesus' forgiveness is not just for those that knew what they were doing. It was also for those that didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Many onlookers in the crowd are just as guilty as committing the crime. And what does Jesus do? He extends his forgiveness towards them all. Those that commit sins of commission and omission, Jesus intercedes on their behalf, and he intercedes on our behalf even now. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Lastly, we see Jesus' incomparable grace. Jesus' incomparable grace. In Jesus' final moments, one of the criminals who were hung next to him said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Break us out of here. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly. We are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And the criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Try to imagine this scene. Just, just take a second. These convicted criminals in Jesus, bloody, bruised, suffering. One is yelling and welling at Jesus to free them, and the other looks over and doesn't see another criminal. 
what he sees is a Savior. Guiltless and perfect Savior. This man received instant acceptance into Jesus' kingdom. In one breath, he is receiving the just penalty of his crime. With the next breath, he says, Jesus, remember me. And the next is taken in paradise. Absolutely amazing. Alistair Begg, a well-known pastor and preacher, says this, and I sum it up. If you died today and were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? Don't answer out loud, but what would you say if you stood at those gates entering into heaven? If you answered that in the first person, you've immediately gone wrong. If you say it's because I have believed or because I have faith or because I followed because I, he says, no, no. The only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because what he did, because who he is, the only reason this man on the cross next to Jesus had access was because the middle man on the cross said so. It was not by works, but by the grace of God. Amazing. What did he gain access by? The middle man on the cross. What do we gain access by? The middle man on the cross. And listen, if I'm honest, as a pastor, this is probably my worst nightmare. Right? This guy hasn't tithed before. He's never been baptized. He's not in a small group. He hasn't said the sinner's prayer. Like, what do you do with that? But he simply said, Jesus, remember me. When Jesus died, this paradise he spoke of was open to anyone that would weep over their sin and receive his forgiveness. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. Today you could say the same thing. Jesus, remember me. Jesus' death wasn't just an act of love. It defines love. His substitutionary death is ultimate example of what love means. And Jesus calls those who follow him to walk in the same kind of life laying down love. Accept his forgiveness. Accept his grace and walk in the way of love. John Piper explains it like this. Jesus' death is both guilt-bearing and guidance-giving. Jesus' death is both guilt-bearing and guidance-giving. Guilt-bearing and guidance-giving, it is a death that forgives sin and a death that models love. It is the purchase of our life from perishing and the pattern of a life of love. Jesus' pattern of life and love is to weep over other sin. It is to intercede and offer forgiveness for those around us. It is to extend grace when grace is not desired. And it is to freely offer his kingdom to those around you. Jesus' words and ways are worth following, Reservoir Church. He modeled a new way of living. You may find yourself in today's story. You may see yourself as Simon and need to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. 
It's a stark picture of one walking behind Jesus, carrying a burden, but recognizing that at one point Jesus takes that from him and is nailed to it. You may see yourself as a criminal that simply needs to believe and receive Jesus. And lastly, you may see yourself as a centurion that needs to confess you're not righteous and that Jesus is. Jesus' words and ways are worth following Reservoir Church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your sufficient grace in our life. God, thank you so much that you are willing to send your son Jesus and that his words and ways never wavered, that he was consistent and faithful, that what he said, he did, and what he did, he said. God, and we thank, we're so thankful that we have an example to follow after. We're so thankful that he was willing to take the full penalty and wrath upon the cross on our behalf, that we could freely receive, that we here today could see Jesus, remember me. Thank you that you have accepted us, that we get to walk with you now, that you have given your spirit to us to help us in this journey to follow your way of love. God, ignite this church for your grace. Would they be lights in Escondido? We need more of you, Jesus. Would you save many? In Jesus' name, amen.